following is my conversation with Brian Sanders, a health and nutrition expert and host of the popular Peak Human podcast. With a passion for whole foods, regenerative agriculture, and sustainable living, Brian has become a leading voice in the movement towards a more holistic approach to health and awareness. As the founder of Sapien, a company dedicated to promoting the benefits of a nose-to-tail diet and a healthy lifestyle. Brian has helped countless people transform their health and well-being through personalized coaching, consulting, and education. Drawing on his background in engineering and computer science, Brian brings a unique perspective to the field of nutrition using data-driven analysis and critical thinking to challenge conventional wisdom and uncover new insights into the complex relationship between diet, lifestyle, and human health. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm good. How's it going? All good. I just want to go back like from the beginning. You started, you didn't have a background in what you do right now. And you got into health and optimization not that long ago. What what took you down this path? Can you tell me about your personal journey and what made you take a complete 180 on your life? Yeah, well, it was nine years ago. I just started changing what I ate. I turned 30. And it's also about the same time I lost both my parents. So two huge things in my life uh, that shook things up. Uh, I thought that what happened to them was due to their diet and lifestyle, that they had the standard American diet and lifestyle, and it led them down the wrong path towards chronic disease. And then I turned 30 and was down that path myself. People know that the dad bod, I was getting the dad bod and just not performing well, not feeling perfect, you know, just thinking that that's what happens in life, that you slowly decline and you can't play sports anymore and you take medications. And I just, everyone around me, that's what was happening to them. But then when I got inspired to change my diet because of my parents, I realized I just made a few changes and then all my problems went away. It was pretty amazing. And I realized that I wasn't doomed to this outcome of just becoming the the guy that every year I gain a pound or two and then all of a sudden I'm on 10 medications and just like the fat old guy. <laughs> uh, that, I, I realized I didn't have to be that. That wasn't my path and it was very simple. And so then six years ago, I went full time on it because I saw a vegan film and realized it was the exact opposite of what I did. And I found great health and I wanted to tell the world. And I, I thought it was just pretty straightforward and simple and that I thought other people could do it, right? So I, I was a mechanical engineer before, then I was into tech and had a whole tech career. And then I went back to my first passion, which was making videos and film. I grew up doing that. And I thought, hey, I can make a documentary about this and give people a more accurate view of how to change their diet and lifestyle. And so I did that full time for the past six years. So let's go back a bit. You said your parents died in their thirties when you were in your thirties. What, <clears throat> what happened? Was it like natural causes? I, you said <clears throat> that they were like generally healthy. So, I mean, yeah. we've been told like, you know, eat healthy, uh, more vegetables in your diet and then like, you know, work out uh, a lot of cardio and you'll be like, you know, you, you, you'll do the mm -hmm. best you can for your health. 
uh, somehow that's not okay. You even mentioned that, you know, you saw this vegan documentary and you didn't agree with it. So there are few, few things that like, you know, we can automatically see this is against the grain. Uh, mm-hmm. First of all, why is that against the grain and why is that inaccurate information that we know? Yeah, so they were reasonably healthy. They weren't like obese. They weren't, you know, they didn't have like medical conditions. They just had the standard American slowly getting more excess fat around the midsection. You know, they just slowly were not able to do the things they're doing. And I think that was because of the diet and lifestyle that's recommended where, like you said, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's sort of low fat diet based on the food pyramid and the food pyramid is from the U S but it went around the world and it bases your diet on bread and grain and starches and pasta and all this type of stuff. And it, and you're supposed to avoid red meat. You're supposed to avoid fat. And this is what they did. And this is how I grew up. And we followed the food pyramid. We didn't go out to eat very often. We didn't go to fast food very often and we did the right things, but it didn't lead to health. It led them to pre-diabetes that I realized they now had and no one told them they had because actually the the CDC even says eight out of 10 people who have pre-diabetes don't know it, but this, this is huge. This goes undiagnosed and we recognize this, but no one's doing anything about it. So they got cancer and Alzheimer's. So I think these are these metabolic diseases. A lot of people don't understand this. Not all Alzheimer's and all cancers are metabolic diseases, but from my 200 plus interviews with doctors and scientists, I've found that the vast majority of them are. And that, yeah, of course, you know, there's leukemia and some children have leukemia and that's not a metabolic disease. They have that, you know, from a very young age, but most cancers are because of people's diet and lifestyle. And same thing with Alzheimer's, they call it type three diabetes now where it's an insulin resistance of the brain and their brain can't use glucose properly because of their diet and lifestyle. And yes, there are other causes of Alzheimer's. It could be, you know, having heavy metals or there's certain other things that can cause it. But the vast majority of it from my experience and learnings from these great doctors is that it's from what you're eating and your metabolic status. So Yes, I'm very interested in having good metabolic health into old age. And I think it's kind of the opposite of what the dietary guidelines have told us. And yes, it's very much against the grain, quite literally. It's going against eating a whole bunch of grains. It's about eating whole foods and animal foods are healthy. And I eat red meat every day in they're telling us not to, right? These guidelines are still telling people to avoid fat, avoid full fat dairy, avoid red meat. And I've done the exact opposite and, and had all my problems go away. My blood work is great. My, all my, you know, markers of health are great. And so, yeah, that's why I'm on this mission is because it's so opposite of what we've been told. And then how is a vegan diet, not the right kind of diet? So that's just not how humans are supposed to eat based on, again, I've interviewed biologists, anthropologists, all the people that study this stuff, humans require animal-based nutrition. It doesn't have to be tons and tons of it. People around the world live on different diets, right? And and for, for all of history, we've lived in all different parts of the world and eating different things. But there's never been a population that was vegan, that 
there's never been a population that's been multi-generational that's avoided all animal foods because that just is not how the human body works. It's like every species has a diet. Lions eat meats and cows eat grass. And, you know, we, we have a certain way that we need to perform optimally. And so, yeah, I, I'm not against, say, a pescatarian diet or a diet, a vegetarian diet, and you're getting some milk or cheese or eggs and, you know, these different animal foods that have great nutrition in them. And some people can do fine uh, by eating those. And because they could be eating other whole foods and not be eating, you know, fast foods and highly processed foods. And if, so what I found is there is no one diet that people need to follow, but there's a framework. And this is, the framework is based on what we've been doing for most of history with humans. And that for most of history, we haven't had these modern processed foods. So I think that's the problem. And a lot of this is conflated in this modern world, especially by vegans. So they are conflating people who eat meat with people who are eating fast food and garbage and all these processed foods. And of course you're not going to do bad, but it was not the meat's fault. And, and then, yeah, basically the, yeah, I don't know well, if you want to know more about the vegan thing or just the like low meat to high meat. It, it it really doesn't matter to me as long as you're not completely avoiding animal foods. That's just is not consistent with human biology. But then if you go by, okay, let's go ancestral, like what are like, you know, older generations ate, like how we survived through the ages and how we've optimized to survive and be the way that are like be most functional for ourselves. Uh, each era, like if you're living in the desert, like if you are like, I'm from the UAE, uh, ancestrally they didn't have that much vegetation and they survived off of that but then if you go to someone who's been living in uh, the tropical areas like there's coconut there's other vegetables there's a lot more so does that affect what kind of diet you should be optimizing for i think so yeah i think all humans can thrive on more animal-based diets but that doesn't mean they have to and they're and i think it's kind of the opposite where all humans we have a certain biology that is very good at extracting nutrients from animal foods and not so good at extracting nutrients from plant foods. We have a completely different digestive tract from our ancestors. And so, yes, I think some people are better at surviving on plant foods and closer to the equator. You're correct that we had a lot more vegetation and we didn't have giant animals. As you go further away from the equator, less plant foods more giant animals that we can get a lot of fat, a lot of meat, especially, yeah, way up north, right? And throughout history, history was a long time. We, we kind of only think of things in a really modern sense, but we actually had megafauna, just gigantic animals roaming the earth for most of history. And those all got wiped out. So until then, we, we had an abundance of animal foods. But yes, some people they can look at their nationality and their heritage and probably are well more well adapted to eating plant foods or fish or you know whatever else is around their their area like southeast asia a lot of plant foods and fish and you know certain types of diets and people can do pretty well on those more plant heavy diets but then you can look in some other context well are they doing well maybe i mean 
And if you're looking at broad statistics for entire countries, India and China have the most type 2 diabetes in the world. And so, you know, they're not uh, eating high meat diets. They're eating plant forward diets. They're avoiding red meat. They're, you know, it's, it's so it's like, well, are they doing well? They, there's this idea of being thin, but still sick. It's in the, it's in the literature, either as Tofi, thin on the outside, fat on the inside, or MONW, metabolically obese, normal weight, which means that you can look relatively thin, but still be metabolically damaged or not functioning properly. And again, these China and India have very low BMIs. If you look at the entire world, very low, thinner people, yet very sick. They have a lot of these problems. So that's another thing to factor in that just because someone looks relatively thin doesn't mean they're healthy. So and how does gut microbiome affect that? Because I know the kind of diet that you have is the kind of microbiome you have in your gut, and that's the way your body in a way processes it. Uh, is that something that you see a difference based on where people are located geographically? Or the ancestral gut microbiome that's been transferred over years, and they are able to tolerate certain things like when you go to lactose intolerance or gluten intolerance, is that also kind of connected? I think so. Yeah. Uh, microbiome is super complicated. I think it's a lot of unknown still. And I do interview a lot of gut health experts, but I think they even admit that we don't know that much, that we think we know. We, you know, we can see that some people have better gut microbiomes than others, but we don't know exactly why. Or we, we try to make probiotics and you know, sometimes they work and sometimes they don't, or is it just good to have all these species of a search? You know, we think, oh, this one's good, but does that mean it's good? Or does it just mean that people who happen to be healthy have a lot of this certain strain? So this is a big unknown. I, I really am not going to say one word or the other that I know a lot about this or anyone knows a lot about this, but I mean, yes, there's probably people who have different gut microbiomes passed down and they can do better with certain foods. It could also be genetic or epigenetic where yeah, lactose intolerant, you know, people in certain parts of the world just ha don't have the gene. Maybe it's not the microbiome. It's just like this certain genetic pattern or epigenetics that have been passed down to allow them to digest dairy. And so there's that. I mean, I like to study the hunter gatherers and read about them. And then I actually got to visit the Hadza two years ago in Tanzania. And they're famous for having a good microbiome. And they also, they're, it's said that they eat tons and tons of fiber and tons of plants. And that is not what I saw. Maybe I didn't see the right people. Maybe there was other groups that somehow had access to the whole foods market and they had, <laughs> uh, I don't it, know. Was it during like uh, the hunting season or could, could it, that could just be when you uh, met them? I thought, no, but it was, it was the wet season. Hmm. There actually were a lot of greenery and trees. And there, this was theoretically the time when plants would be available, but they were out there hunting animals. They ate meats, they ate honey and they ate tubers. So are the things that make up their diet the most. And the tubers were not eaten. They were just chewed on. This is a big thing that I, 
I, I kind of am contesting with the literature and I want to learn more about because there, people say that these people ate high fiber diets. I didn't see them eating any fiber. They were eating animal foods and some honey and chewing on tubers. The like chewing on a tuber doesn't mean you're eating fiber. It's very interesting. I think you can get a good microbiome from getting, they're eating these tubers that they put in a fire and they cooked and they're out of the ground and they don't have any sanitation. They don't wash anything. They're just eating dirt basically. Mm-hmm. And I, I ate some of these tubers with them. You're just gnawing on some dirty, it's basically like gnawing on sugar cane where you can't eat the sugar cane. You can chew on it and you get some sweet juices out of it, but you're not eating the, any of the sugar cane itself. It's too fibrous. That's mm-hmm. what these tubers were they're eating. So they weren't eating any fiber. They could have gotten some soluble fiber, maybe you know some prebiotic type of starch from chewing on these, which can help your gut microbiome. But they were not ingesting tons of insoluble fiber. It's not that they're like eating kale, you know, eating this big mass of fiber. They and also that so that not only did they not wash these tubers, of course, they didn't wash their knives. They the only possessions they really have are a few knives and arrow tips. Well, they make their arrows and their bows and you know, they make everything, but they trade for metal arrow tips and metal knives with the Datoga tribe, which they collect wood and they are sorry, they collect metal and they know how to smelt it into crude tools. So all they, they have these dirty knives. And so they got an animal with us, a small dick dick. It's like a little antelope. And they immediately just cut it open with this dirty knife and took out the liver and cut it up and gave me some raw liver. And this liver had guts on it. It was yellow and green and it had a bunch of guts and it was cut with the dirty knife. So I think I got millions of species and or amounts of microbiome you know gut bacteria from that not from plants they don't have a lot of plants they have basically guts and maybe they got this gut microbiota from the animal that ate a bunch of plants right this little baby antelope thing eats a whole bunch of stuff and then all its guts had all these gut bacteria and then that's what we ate. So I think they live in nature. They are out in the sun. They, you know, they're doing all these other things correctly and living appropriately. And therefore they have a good, and eating whole foods and eating animal foods and gnawing on some dirty tubers. And that's why they have a good microbiome. They're not going to the whole foods market and buying, you know, like a cantaloupe that's from across the world and eating a red pepper that was flown in from Chile. And then they're, they're not eating the rainbow. They're not making salads with 32 ingredients. And that's why they have a good microbiome. They have a good microbiome because they're living like humans. You mentioned raw liver with, okay, all the guts and all the bacteria, the good uh, microbiome cultivating, uh, like, you know, dirt in a way. But why raw liver? I've tried raw liver. I know like, you know, it's more bioavailable, but like, let's go to the science of it. Why raw? Uh, Well, raw, yes, you can retain more nutrients. When you cook it, you can degrade it. It's not, you know, terrible. It's not like it's worthless once you cook it. Hmm. So the idea of raw is just to retain more nutrients. Also, I think it even tastes better or is a little easier to eat when it's raw. That's probably very controversial. But (laughs) when you cook liver, I don't think it tastes very good. It gets it, when you cook it, it, it kind of gets more of this iron taste 
And it's kind of off-putting if you don't grow up eating liver. Mm. And I just prefer to eat it raw. Well, it's not like I do it all the time, but you can freeze it and then you can put in little chunks and you can kind of swallow little raw liver chunks just as a, as a good way to get. It's basically nature's multivitamin. Like oh, for a time in between our chopped up bits of uh, raw liver, put in the freezer, it was like literally like chug it down like a multivitamin and then that was it. But yeah. it's just, it's a lot of work. Like you're making sure that you do it every day, get it out of the freezer. I'm just lazy. That could just be me. I'm mm-hmm. not making excuses. Okay, so let's go back to nose to tail. So like you, you've spoken a lot about like why it's so important to eat nose to tail. What's, what are the bits that like, you know, regular diets are missing from the entire animal and why is it so important? Yes. I, well, our ancestors ate nose to tail. If people want to learn more about this, Dr. Bill Schindler is amazing. He's in my film series and I've interviewed him a lot of many times. So if you're really What's curious about What's the name this, of your film series? For those Food who Lies. Food Lies. It's not out yet. We've been making it forever. It's been a long journey and we're, we're wrapping up soon and be pitching it around to big platforms like Netflix. And so hopefully that will come out by the end of the year. Uh, but Dr. Bill Schindler is great because he travels the world. He's a paleoanthropologist and food scientist, and he studies this stuff. And basically, we ate nose to tail for all of history. And I, yeah, I didn't really know why until I really started getting into it. There's actual reason. Not a, well, one reason is you use the whole animal, right? Why waste that food? Our ancestors did not waste the food, and it's it's respectful to the animal and it's better for the world, right? We. We, we're all, we don't want to waste things, right? So there's also nutrition involved. So one example is if people have heard of methionine and glycine, these are two of these amino acids, these proteins. And it, it, I don't want to get too technical, but muscle meat, right? Just normal meat has a lot of methionine in it. And then bone broth and cartilage and all these other parts of the animal have a lot of glycine. And I've heard some vegans and some people who are against meat cite a study that showed these these rodents that ate a high methionine diet and they died earlier. But then when they gave them glycine, they live just as long, if that makes sense. So that means if you don't eat nose to tail, you might have a bad ratio of these amino acids. So it's kind of like the, we eat nose to tail for a reason is our, our human body gets all the things we need. It's we We get... The glycine, it's like the collagen, right? It's what makes up your joints and and hair, nails and tissues and all that stuff. And then the protein is more to build your muscles and your organs and stuff like that. And you need both. You need both, right? So if you're just eating normal muscle meat, you could be missing out on all these collagenous bits. And maybe that's not good long-term. You can like slowly get problems from that because of this imbalance. And then same thing with the organs. The organs have so much more nutrients in them, like liver. That's why it's nature's multivitamin. It has tons and tons of zinc and copper and B12 and vitamin A and all these things. So it's not a big part of the animal, but it was very nutrient dense. And you know, this is what they did. They shared the little bits of liver with everyone in the tribe. And so you got those highly nutrient dense bits of vitamins and minerals that you wouldn't get if you're just eating the normal muscle meat. So if you eat the whole animal, you're actually getting all the vitamins, nutrients, proteins, fats that you need. 
is it the same analogy as you know when they say if you take an orange and then you squeeze out the juice and you drink it it does not have the fiber it's not packaged the same way if you were to eat like oranges by itself like you know properly mm-hmm. you would have maybe three max but if you have a glass of orange juice it's like eight nine and you could keep going because there's a reason why nature is packaged that same in that same way so if you were to eat an animal nose to tail your the way that you eat it would be very different and we have just like reshuffled everything be it like you know a burger with fries and a drink and then you end up eating so much more what are your thoughts on all of that yeah that is a good analogy it's a little bit different but it's actually kind of the same that Yes, nature intended us to eat in a certain way. And yeah, an orange, it's not necessarily that the fiber is super healthy. The fiber actually just helps you not absorb all that sugar as fast. And it helps just, it when you break down the cellular walls of the fiber and turn it to juice, it's just bad. You get like this big rush of sugar in your system and that's just not how it's meant to be. But yes, you're right. If you eat it in its whole form, it your body can process it correctly and you yes so yeah i mean you're right that and you're kind of pointing to the modern food processing and modern food system as being the problem that's exactly right everything that we do is about making things tastier and cheaper for the for the consumer and but also cheaper for the creator of the product so they can make more money uh everything's about yeah adding fake flavors and making people eat more. And again, correct. People, if you eat a fast food meal with a burger and fries and a shake or soda, you're going to eat way more and you're going to get far less nutrition. So it, it actually goes a lot deeper than just calories. Yes, you ate more calories, right? If you ate a fast food meal. But what's more important to me is that you got less nutrients from those calories. So the the bun... That's just this terrible fake bread. You know, the fries are just cooked in oil, no nutrients in the oil. The soda, of course, no nutrients. It's just corn syrup and water, sugar water. It So the only nutrition you're getting is from the meat, actually. You're getting the best nutrition from that little meat patty. You can get some nutrition from that cheese, although it's fake cheese, probably bad cheese. You know, maybe you could get a tiny bit of nutrition from the tomato or something, even though these tomatoes are also just grown to be super big and have less and less nutrients. And there's not a lot of nutrients in these factory produced or, you know, industrially produced vegetables either. So yes, you're getting far less protein and nutrients, far more energy calories, right? From fats or carbs. And so not only are you eating more calories, but you're not going to be full and you're, you're not going to be satiated for the right amount of time if you eat that meal and you're just going to eat again and that's how people gain weight right but if i ate say amount of steak and whatever say an avocado and it was x amount of calories i think it doesn't really matter how many calories because if i eat a giant meal of steak and avocado i'm not going to eat i'm not going to be hungry for quite a long time and i'm getting tons of protein and nutrients and so i'm good my body's satiated. I'm getting what I need and it's fine. And I lose weight if I eat steak and avocado only. <laughs> but if you're eating fast food meal, you're getting all the calorie energy calories, not the nutrient and protein calories. And you're just going to keep eating and eating and eating these 
and yes, you will gain weight. Speaking of engineered food, like, you know, you said tomatoes, uh, like uh, genetically modified, uh, everything is like, you know, processed, like be the cheese. Now, if you bring in the factor of fake meats, uh, soy burgers and bean burgers and what what have you mm-hmm. how does that completely twist the you know the health narrative because right now everyone says okay f- fake meats uh, food of uh, meat replacements are healthier for you what are your thoughts on it and like how is this going to pan out in the five mm. six years ahead of us like how's our health going to decline further from your perspective well the highest level you can't cheat nature I think that's a big high level concept that we should start with. You can, well, people might say, oh, well, we have airplanes. <laughs> so yes, we, we are cheating nature a little bit, but that's not in being human. You can't cheat nature in some of these foundational principles of being human and the human body. We can cheat nature in other things. Yes, like we can fly across the world, but when it comes to food, sleep, exercise, you know, the sun community, these things, just what we did for all of history. You can't cheat. You can't make a pill that will allow you to sleep for three hours, but it's just as good as eight hours. I think that is physically impossible. We will never do that. And I'd love to be wrong. I just, it's not possible. It's like a workout machine. You can't build a workout machine that works out for you. Your, your body needs to do the must, you know, your muscles need to do the work. You cannot just get fake exercise. You can cheat nature a little bit. I mean, yeah, you can go in a sauna and maybe that can raise your heart rate. And then it's like, oh, well, I'm not doing exercise, but I'm getting cardio benefits from being in the sauna from the elevated heart rate. Yes, there's smaller ways that you can do things, but you can't cheat nature and like make a machine that works out for you. Were you going to say something? Well, I, I wanted to bring up Ozempic because this is supposed to be like cheating nature, not working mm-hmm. out. And people seem to be riding that wave like there's no tomorrow. And the payoff, I mean, we still haven't understood what the payoff would be. And that is the case with everything, be it airplanes. Like, you know, you when you are flying at a higher altitude, you're exposed to more radiation. It kind of affects your uh, sleep cycles. Your, and if you're traveling a lot, uh, circadian rhythm. There's, there's a lot of payoffs that you have to do. We just don't understand. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Yeah. No, that's very true. I was going to say that. Yes, absolutely. With the circadian rhythm thing. And there's so many things. I think it's just... Though there's some that are are more impactful and worse for you than others. And it's like, it's great that yes, we can drive in a car that's faster than riding a horse or running. And well, yeah, maybe you get more car accidents. <laughs> there's always these downstream effects, but I still, I kind of separate that because I'm willing to drive in a car and take the risk of getting in a car accident, but I'm not going to take the the risk of taking Ozempic. Like I would never do these things that really affect the human body and health because I think those unintended consequences are way worse and they're never worth it. So Ozempic is a good example where, yes, people think that they're cheating nature, but now we're, yeah, we are starting to see that a lot of the weight they're losing is from lean body mass. This is your musculature, your bone density, stuff like that. That is the exact opposite of what you want, right? This is terrible, especially as you age. The number one 
predictor or corollary with long age and thriving is your lean body mass and you're having enough muscles to support yourself. And, and that's how you live longer. That's like, yeah, a huge correlation with people who live longer, retain more of that. So why would you take this drug that depletes that it takes it away that it, it so there's another thing people need to recognize is you don't want to just look at weight on a scale. If you just weigh yourself and say you just did a juice fast for a week, I'm not saying you can never do a juice fast for a week, but let's take an example. Do a juice fast for a week. You're getting no protein, barely any nutrients. I mean, you're getting some vitamin C. So, you know, whatever. You're not getting all the vitamins and minerals you need. You're not getting protein. You can jump on the scale and you could have lost five pounds. But if you looked at a DEXA scan or body scan where you actually looked at the muscle mass and the fat mass, you would have lost way more muscle mass than fat because your body didn't get the nutrients it needed. That's what's going on with Ozempic and the semaglutide and these drugs is people aren't, they're, they're looking at the scale. They're like, oh, great. I lost five pounds, but they don't know that three and a half pounds were from your body mass, your lean tissue. You don't want, that's terrible. You want to lose as much fat as possible and, and retain all that body mass. So that's just one of these side effects that we're just seeing now. And I think that's huge. And yeah, there's going to be way more. I'm sure. I, I just don't think you can, can trick human biology. And you asked about fake meat. I don't think you can do that by the laws of the universe. It's impossible to make fake meat that is as nutritious as real meat or that can actually match up to real meat because I think that's alchemy. Right, people know alchemy. Right, you're trying to make gold out of lead. It's just not possible. You're never gonna uh, get with the same inputs, be able to get the same outputs. Right, like if you a cow is a perfect machine, <laughs> quote machine that can make meat out of grass. Right, and there's no way you're gonna do better than that. You scientists think that they're okay, we we made this fake meat in a lab or we put all these different ingredients and it has the same macros, right? The same macronutrients profile. It has 19 grams of protein, just like real meat. It has four grams of fat, just like real, you know what I mean? They, they The macros, that doesn't mean that it's at all nutritionally equivalent. And it also doesn't mean that it's like the, the toll on the environment is the same. So a lot of these people are doing these fake meats for environmental purposes, supposedly, right? They're saying, oh, cows are bad. We need to do this to save the world. I don't think that works at all. There's no way, the, the amount of refrigeration alone it takes, all the energy, they're just not counting all the inputs. To make lab-grown meat, you're putting in tons of inputs. You're actually using tons of antibiotics to keep this sterile. You're using tons of electricity in these giant warehouses and factories and to, to keep it cool, you know, just air conditioning alone and cooling alone is a huge, huge cost energetically. And I think it's just this fake holy grail that is completely false, right? This is false idol of that we're going to create something better than nature. How are you going to do that? If you put a cow on grass, it can make meat. All it needs is the sunlight and the rain and the grass will grow and the cow eats it. And yes, so there's a few inputs of someone you know, taking care of it, maybe getting it some more water and maybe, you know, just hauling it to the place where it gets slaughtered.
but not that much. There's not that many inputs. And yeah. So what what would you say to someone who says that like, you know, uh, about car farts and the methane, which is uh, something that environmentalists come back to all the time. It's like, yeah, there are a lot more uh, cows, which uh, create a lot more methane in the environment. Then also they require a lot more uh, like land to eat and graze. And that could be instead used to produce vegetables that humans can eat. And plus also that we're killing a lot more animals than we should because the population density that we have now is not the same as, and it's not sustainable. So how do we grapple with each of these issues? Mm -hmm. So land, I think cows on land or cattle or any ruminants like sheep or goats or bison on land is a good thing. That's a good thing. They are doing their job. They're grazing, hopefully appropriately and not overgrazing. Their manure is fertilizing the soil. There used to be, like I said, megafauna, millions and millions of megafauna roaming the earth. And we had giant, expansive grasslands and deep roots in the soil. And this was how the grasslands were developed is because of ruminant animals grazing and being part of the system. So for the land part, we want more animals on land. Look up Alan Savory. Ted, he did a TED Talk. He's an amazing guy who did a TED Talk about this. You, you can re reverse desertification. We can help the land. We can help the soil. We can help people get food with animals on land. So there's that methane. I think that's a big fake thing that people care about. The biggest producer of methane is termites. I think <laughs> there's there's so many other sources of methane, growing rice, growing other crops, huge source of methane. Uh, in the, the industrial, like there's, you know, tons of other things that produce methane. Cows might burp and produce some methane, but they did not create this methane out of nowhere, right? Again, it's this alchemy idea that th something can't come from nothing, right? They're eating these plants that have CO2 in them and they're burping, you know, eventually gets methane and that methane goes up in the atmosphere. It actually breaks down into CO2 and then it comes back in this harmonious cycle. They're not creating these gases out of nowhere. These are just, does that make sense, right? They're going in this cycle of up into the atmosphere. It's actually a short-lived gas. It doesn't last that long. CO2 actually lasts way longer or these other gases that are produced in, industrially. And then they come back into the grass. But the problem, the real problem is the fossil fuels. These are, this is a source of energy and CO2 that have been in the ground for millions of years. And we are we are like extracting and putting up into the atmosphere. So if you're going to talk about that, that's a one-way street, right? That's going, it's extracting and putting it up. So this is additional. If you're talking about methane and cows, that's just a little cycle that is harmonious and self-sustaining and is not adding any new methane into the atmosphere. And we're actually having less cows. There are less cattle than a hundred years ago. We're, it's, we're, we're actually not at it. We're getting more efficient at raising cattle. But you look at the U.S., it, it's actually slightly gone down over the decades. What else? Um, what are the other points people bring up? So what about monocrop agriculture? Like a lot of people say that, you know, that's bad for the environment and the soil. Like what are your thoughts on it? What's the science behind it? What's the research? What are people talking about in this uh specifically about okay you know what let's clear the space up for deforestation and then there's like again a lot of soy being produced or one kind of product and then that's it corn or whatever 
And I, like, from my understanding, I know that this is bad for the environment, but like, can you explain a bit, like dissect this for mm. people who don't understand? Okay, yeah. So there's a couple of things there. One is people say, why do we, we grow all these plants to feed the animals? Why don't we just eat the plants ourselves? And I will say, because one, they are low quality nutrition. Animal foods have much more nutrition and it's much more bioavailable. It's what our bodies need and can use. And so there's a great study that actually looks at the amount of protein in the diet of a cow for its entire life, how much protein it ate from whatever food sources. It actually doubled when you slaughter the animal and eat it. Like the amount of protein that they can produce for humans is double the amount they've eaten over their life. So that's, and what protein is what we care about. We, we do not care about calories. So part of the story is the calorie story, that there are different types of calories. Like I said, there's protein and nutrient calories, and there's energy calories, which could be fat or carbs. And yes, we need both, but people are eating far too many of these energy calories that's people have, you probably heard of the idea of empty calories, right? It's like, oh, don't eat the Twinkies, the dessert. Those are empty calories. Yes, that is actually a very good concept that I grew up with that people, you know, my grandma would say, yeah, you don't want to drink a soda. That is empty calories. It has no nutrients in it. It's just all energy, it's just all calories. People don't need more energy. People are already overweight enough. They don't need more energy. They need more nutrients. So if we're just trying to feed the world on corn, wheat, and soy and these cheap crops, those are calories. Yes, it'll keep someone alive, but it, it is not keeping them healthy. It is making them sick if they're eating too many of these empty calories. So this all ties into the story of, no, we can't just grow these crops and feed them to humans. We need quality protein. We need animal nutrition. And there's a cost to all food. And but when we talk about, well, confined feeding operations. These are CAFOs. So this is how most of cows or cattle end up in the last third of their life. And they are fed some of these monocropped inputs, but a lot of them are waste products. So it can be kind of efficient where they're getting distillers, grains, you know, if they make alcohol or ethanol, if they make biofuels, they make corn um, fuel, bio, uh, ethanol, you know, they can make, uh, what is it called? It's a biofuel. Uh, then they have leftover products and the cows can eat them. So it's somewhat efficient in that way. But yes, I don't think we should be growing all these monocrops to feed animals. And the better way to do it is we can take all that land. There's millions and millions of acres of land and they're growing these crops intensively and with fake fertilizers and synthetic inputs and then trying to feed them to cows. That's not the way to do it. If you take these millions and millions of acres of land and put cattle and other livestock, you know, ruminant animals that eat grass on these acres of land. I mean, it'd take decades to make these big changes. We can grow high quality nutrition and we wouldn't have to grow all these crops for to feed them and to feed people. I think we should replace some of these cheap monocrop foods that make up basically 80% of foods that people eat than you know, normal people. They're just eating different boxes and packages of corn, wheat, and soy and sugar mashed up in different ways. And yeah, that I guess the real problem is that monocropping. It's not the animals. It's I think the monocropping of these 
commodities is causing more problems than anything because it's ruining the soil. We're gonna we're gonna run out of of quality soil that has nutrients in it that will even be able to grow food in in some amount of time. You know, if we keep just take we're just taking, taking, taking by using these industrial methods. And if you have animals as part of this equation and doing them naturally and you can grow plants and animals together and there's ways to do this, then it, they can add back into the soil, the animals manure and they can add into the soil. And yeah. What what are your thoughts on when like, you know, people say, okay, you mentioned empty galleries, uh, let's say a piece of potato, like that's mostly starch and carbohydrates. Is that the same as Wonder Bread? Good question. I love that question. So it'll go back to two of the things we talked about. For one, it's the potatoes and it's whole food matrix. It's still in its, it's a whole food, right? It has this fiber matrix and that will, when you eat it, it, it won't digest as fast. It actually, and all the second thing is potato actually does have some nutrients. Like it does have a bit of protein and a bit of nutrients in it, right? Some vitamins and minerals and people, if you're starving, you could live off potatoes for a little bit, not forever, but Wonder Bread, not at all. Stripped of all the nutrients, stripped of it, it's being in its whole form. And now you could have something that's the same amount of calories. Yeah, you could say, okay, here's 100 cows of potato, 100 cows of Wonder Bread. They're the same. No, you're like the Wonder Bread is this highly refined processed food with other added ingredients and nutrients have been extracted from it and nutritionally devoid. And yeah, I think that's kind of one of the big problems is back in the day when they made the food pyramid or we were trying to figure this out as early as in the 1950s, people just thought all calories were the same. So like, okay, well, I don't know. Yeah, Wonder Bread is just as good as potatoes and potatoes are just as good as meat because it's just calories. And that's completely wrong. So, okay, let's go back a bit to your source of information. So you start looking for truth because you felt the need that, like, you know, there were personal events in your life that pushed you towards it. And the common understanding, what we've been told over decades has been that the food pyramid, carbs, vegetables, uh, fake meats, this is good for you. This is healthy. Uh, how does one find the right information and how do you discern from truth to lies because you're you're you spoken about food lies and mm -hmm. we've been like we've been fed those food lies and how can one say okay this is inaccurate this is correct mm. i know you can always be like okay i'm the expert here but there are doctors on tv mm -hmm. speaking on newspapers and in magazines talking about how this kind of diet is healthy over this one there's a lot of debate and each side is like louder than the other ones. Vegans are screaming on one side of vegetarians, raw food diets, juice diets. There's everything out there. Uh, how can I say even what mm. you're saying is accurate over someone else? That's a great question. That's a great question. And, and I'm still trying to figure it out. But what I do is I look at all the sides. That's the one way to do it is you kind of check yourself. You know, you check your work. So it's good to do something one way and then you check your work and do that, say if it's math, do it a different way. So, and, and you can, then if it, you get the same result, you're like, okay, I checked my work. I did it two different methods and they both check out. That's what you need to do in this nutrition world, but you may need to use six different methods. You need to look at human biology. 
you need to, you right you need to like study like how the the digestive system works that's why i started talking about you know our actual short intestine long intestine how it's changed and how the different foods are digested in each and you can extract nutrition in different ways you need to look at our ancestral past and you know what we were eating you need to look at modern studies that we've done there's there's a lot of studies over the years but you can't just trust one study you need to check your work right look at all the different studies there's meta analyses there's then you have to look at who's funding the studies you have to look at say doctors that you can look at clinical experience and you can look at all these, you have to add in all of these things. This is really complicated. This is actually maybe one of the most controversial things in the world is what should we eat? You know, this is huge. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to look at all these sides, spend tons of time, and then you can start developing your current running hypothesis or your current understanding. So that's all I'm doing is trying to look at the most sides, trying to not be biased, trying to not just go by, well, the WHO is supposedly the world's you know highest level of authority. So I'm just going to go with the WHO said. You can't do science like that. You can't just look at one thing and you, and just trust these big institutions, partly because they have so many other vested interests and motivations and there's so much else going on. So there, there's two things. Some, some of these people, like you said, the people on TV or there's people writing books and doctors and, you know, these people seem great. And it's like, yeah, this, this guy's amazing. And this, this woman, you know, cured her cancer and she's a doctor and she says that meat's bad and that vegetarian diets are the best. So why should I not trust her? I mean, it's a good data point, but you have to look deeper uh, that's why I don't get obsessed with one specific diet or one way of eating because maybe this person did reverse their cancer with a vegetarian diet, but they weren't eating any old vegetarian diet. You can eat French fries and soda and cake, and that can be vegetarian. It's, you know, what did this person do to do that? Well, maybe they were eating good sources of eggs and, and dairy and whole foods and they ate that's fine. I, I, if you're eating probably any combination of whole foods, you could be fine. You know, like for our history, that's all we had was whole foods. And we ate all combinations. That's what I said. By the equator, maybe more plant towards the north or south, more animal. Who cares? You're, you're eating whole foods. So that's actually one of my big conclusions is that it maybe doesn't matter that much. It matters if you're eating whole foods or not. Right. So that's so, so there's a common thread of what people say are good diets. And I think there can be many versions. And those are the ones that are based on whole foods or people who have done the diet. Why does it work for some people, not for others? Well, some people may have been doing the healthy version and the whole food version of that diet. And another person who it didn't work for, they were eating junk food that was, say, vegetarian or junk food that was keto. You know, so. That makes sense. You you have to look at the highest level, m many lines of evidence and look at the commonalities and what do good diets do and what do good and bad diets leave out. And when, when you really zoom out, I think you do get somewhere. You do get to make some conclusions and that 
I just think that all the good diets I've seen throughout history, if you point to any population that is is healthy, they're avoiding added sugars, refined grains, seed oils. They're, they're not eating. Those are the highly processed ingredients that make up almost all processed foods. And they're, they're avoiding those and they're including some sort of animal nutrition and they're eating whole foods. So that's it. That's all my, my real stance is, is that a good diet has some good animal nutrients, protein, vitamins, minerals, and eats whole, and other whole foods and avoids these highly processed ingredients and processed foods. So I don't, I don't think that's very controversial. The thing is people can make a lot of money by diving into one little diet or, you know, have some sensational story about, oh, I did this and I cured this. Or maybe there's even corporate interests too, where, so, so if we're saying giving people the benefit of the doubt, right, there's a, say there's a woman doctor who, yeah, she cured her cancer and wrote a book about it and it's vegetarian. I don't think she's a bad person. I don't think she's trying to trick anyone. I don't, I believe her story completely. Right. And it's just that she's just honing in. Yes, I believe in these principles. And you just have there. I just don't think you need to only claim that it was because it was vegetarian. I think you, right? Like you can't. So I don't think that that's bad. I just think this person needs to think more broadly. But then there is another case where maybe there could be nefarious intentions. Right. And if we're getting into corporate, systems and big food and all this, then that is another reason why it's so hard to figure out what to eat and why there could be information conflicting with what I'm saying. Because there's this whole other story of billions of dollars made through processed foods. All the money is in processing the food and selling it at a high profit margin. Now they have money to do lobbying. They have money to do advertising. They have money to fund studies. So yes, it's super conflicting information because I think there's so much money in processed foods and there's huge corporations that are just trying to make money. They aren't after your health. They have no, they, they have shareholders to um, pay, right? They, they, they're all, they're beholden to their shareholders to make money. They're not beholden to keep you healthy. So that's the two sides of it. it Speaking of shareholders and then beholden to someone who like, you know, who wants follow the, the follow the green, follow the money kind of uh, scenario. Uh, what examples can you take from the past or like even currently right now, where you can see this, like, this is where the bullshit is. Like, I know the corn lobby in the US uh, is so strong that corn oil is in everything, corn, uh, high fructose corn syrup is in everything, even though it doesn't require it to be. Uh, in fact, when I go shopping and if I look for like, products like it's made in the US, I'm like, I will probably look at all the ingredients before I buy it over any mm -hmm. other country. And that's just me here. I don't know how everybody else shops in the US because again, there it's a little bit more... Uh, the, the water is a little bit more muddy with all of this uh, advertising, dollars being spent on lobbying. Yeah, that's a huge problem. That's why I don't buy products, really. <laughs> I'm in the US. I don't buy food products. I buy whole foods. I, well, I have my own company, Nose to Tail, so I can get my own meat. So that's easy. But I get the eggs from the farmer's market. I get, you know, products without ingredient lists, right? I don't even want to call them products. I get food without ingredient lists. I mean, maybe a yogurt has two ingredients, right? It says like live cultures and 
whole milk. Yeah. So that's what I buy. Uh, people just need to watch out. I mean, that's why we're having this podcast, I guess, is to wake people up to this, is that, yes, especially in the U.S., there's tons of huge interests at play. Corn lobby, yeah, corn, wheat, and soy, highly subsidized, subsidized by the government here, and they're putting everything. And people don't don't look out for it. They don't realize this is a bad thing. So, yeah, I mean, just people need to understand this stuff that there's a lot of claims out there. Even the government's making claims that this is a healthy way. The food package is making claims. Oh, this is a healthy treat. Oh, it's a healthy granola bar. This is not healthy. Read, look at it. It's like, oh, it's only 100 calories. Like, well, who cares if it's 100 calories? It's really small <laughs> and it's not going to fill me up. And it's just corn syrup and these, you know, some sort of monocropped oats. And this is just this fake granola bar that has all these healthy claims on it and is the exact opposite of that. That is not at all healthy. I don't know. People just need to wake up and learn. Yeah, really just wake up. I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't wake up to this. I wasn't tuned into all this before I started my journey. I just did exactly what I was told. I went by the commercials on TV. I went by the claims on the package and I bought that. I'm like, oh, well, I should get this because it's lower calorie or it's low fat or this is says it's healthy. You just got to wake up. You got to snap out of it. Speaking of things outside of uh, like, you know, your diet and what you ingest, how important is movement and what kind of movement is movement is good for you? Uh, what are the factors? Like I know there's going out in the sun, vitamin D tablets are not the same as, you know, going out and just actually soaking in the, the rays. Why is that different? How is it better than just like, you know, because not everybody has access to sunlight. I live in a mm -hmm. country where it's 24 seven, you have sunlight, like it's, it's mm -hmm. available. You can go outside, but I don't think that's the case with someone who's living on the north, somewhere where they're like, you know, the mm -hmm. sun doesn't come that much. How would you optimize for that? And what do you recommend? Yeah, that's a hard one. Uh, I recommend going on vacation <laughs> if you can afford it. Uh, I recommend moving if you can, because it's a huge part of life and being healthy. Um, I would say do what you can, any opportunity that it is, the sun's out, go out and get it. If you really can't, you can get vitamin D, D and you have to find a supplement that also has K2. So you can find like a D3, K2. It needs these cofactors for it to work. Um, yeah, I mean, if you have to supplement, do it. I think it's better than nothing. But I think it's... it's nothing is better yeah. than nature by itself. It's it's really important. Yes, we we are on this planet for a reason. We can't, you know, we got it this far because we were out doing and then you brought movement too we are we made it this far because we we're moving our bodies it's it's kind of like this opposite mentality it's not that it's good to exercise it's like it's bad if you don't mm. you know what i mean of course it's good to exercise yes but it's like it's so it's it's a requirement that's what i mean right exercise some sort of movement is a requirement for human bodies so if you don't do it you're screwed that's what i'm saying and i'm not saying you have to go do a Olympic lifts and do a triathlon, you just need to move your body in some way. And I don't think that you should move your body to burn calories. It's not like, oh man, I had a donut. So now I got to go do a jog for 45 minutes to burn off that donut. That's not how it works either. You should be, you should be walking. 
daily. You should just be moving. I mean, functional movement's great too. That's what we did for all of history, right? You're lifting things up, carrying them, you know, walking, just climbing something. Like, that's great. And if you can't do all that, then you can, you lift weights, you can sprint. I, uh, I think jogging, just sitting on a treadmill is not very effective. I don't think that's very consistent ancestrally. And I don't do it. I think it's bad. I think you can overwork your joints and you're not going to get anywhere and you think you're just going to be burning calories. I think it would be better to do anything else, lifting weights, sprinting, walking, stuff like that. Speaking of sunlight and their nature and the connection with it, uh, there seems to be a connection between seed oils and the way your body absorbs the sunlight and how it responds to it. Can you explain a little bit what that is? And then how do we uh, step back and go back to what nature, how nature intended it to be? That's a good question. I don't think it's proven yet. Uh, it's hard <laughs> to get this in the scientific literature uh, about seed oils and sun, but it is very consistent anecdotally for me, people I know, my good friends, people I hang out with, people I listen to on the internet, very, very consistent through thousands and thousands of people. If you start, stop eating seed oils, you don't sunburn as much. And I think there is a mechanism. I heard Rob Wolf talking about this years ago, and I've heard a little bit about sense of proposed mechanisms is that there is this inflammation. If you're eating these highly refined seed oils that have you know way more PUFAs, the polyunsaturated fats, the linoleic acid, that's really not the ratio that our body wants. Like go back to that concept. Your body expects a certain ratio of things, right? And then if you extract corn oil and soybean oil and shove it into all these foods, that is not like nature, right? That is not what your body expects and it'll throw things off. And I think it can inflame your body, inflame your skin, stuff like that. So if your body and your tissues are already inflamed, because they're trying to deal with these whole bunch of seed oils that have been heated up and then cooled and heated up and put in a fryer and you know you go to some restaurant and get all this fried food, then it's going to sunburn more easily. And if your body is not having to deal with all of this inflammation from maybe it's beyond just seed oils, it's all the processed foods, which are all stuffed with seed oils, then your body can handle the sun, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of simple. It's like, I think that it's with getting sick. I don't get sick anymore at mm -hmm. all. I stopped eating. I don't get allergies much at all anymore until very, very recently, maybe a little bit. But for years, I didn't have allergies. For years, I haven't gotten sick because I wasn't making myself sick with on a daily basis with all these fake foods and processed foods. And I now, so now my body can deal with a little cold. If some someone has a cold and they sneeze on me, my body can like easily overcome that because it's not already taxed by this constant inflammation and constant, you know, immune system uh, needs that would be needed to keep me healthy. Right. And so it's the same thing with the sun. If you're not already inflaming your body and your skin, it can handle a bit of sun. Of course it can. This is how we exist as humans, but also you have to get a tan. You can't just all of a sudden go out and spend eight hours in the direct sun. <laughs> you you definitely need to work a tan. And that's how that's how we always did it, right? Throughout the spring, we started getting more sun and the sun got more intense and we built up this base layer tan so that we could handle the sun.
And what can one do to reduce the inflammation from our environment? Like you said, okay, corn oil, uh, processed food causes inflammation. We can take that off. But then what is the other alternatives in terms of like mitigating that damage that's already been done or like making uh, finding that balance back again like i know okay we can go back to primal eating but then okay imagine i'm already on this level where i've i'm kind of screwed how do i mm-hmm. reverse that ah uh, that's a hard one uh there's people who spend their whole life trying to figure this stuff out and smarter than me but i'd say there's these ancestral hacks i don't like the term biohacking because you know, I don't want to be covered in gadgets and, you know, be beholden to my watch and my whoop strap and my aura ring. Those are great tools. Maybe you can learn, but basically I call it ancestral hacking. So let's use these different modalities that kind of mimic our past and we can start to help ourselves undo the damage. So that could be sauna. I like to do a lot of saunas and, you know, there's a lot of proven benefits studies about it, especially up North in, you know, Nordic countries and you could do cold plunge, you know, cold therapy. You can do, uh, I don't know, fasting. <laughs> you can do fasting. Yeah, some people who have a lot of problems with their gut or with any their metabolism, with all kinds of things, heavy metal. There's so many ways to detox just using these ancestral hacks, not eating for a while. Yes, it's just mimicking what happened if we couldn't get animals for a while or we you know we had certain weather conditions that we couldn't go for a hunt for a week our bodies can survive for a week but it also can help like re clean like clean up our mitochondria you know people have heard of autophagy it's like these cellular cleanup like these things can can help us um yeah what, what what else? I'm sure you know some of these. There's so, just natural things: sauna, cold plunge, I, fasting. I have a, I have a kind of question. Be the devil's advocate for a second. It's like you know, modern problems look for uh, need modern solutions, and this is where biohacking comes in. Like you know, okay, mm-hmm. we need to chelate for heavy metals in our systems. Back in the day, as our ancestors didn't have the same problem, so we need right. modern solutions for it. So how do we? understand and work around that because that same thing goes back to like oh we need processed food we need uh like you know protein bars over like you know nature's sources of uh, energy there there is that debate as well like one side says okay we are modern humans we live a very sedentary lifestyle so we do need to go to the gym and like run five miles every day even though that's not realistic because you can't be sitting all day and then just get up and run for an hour yeah so like someone who's living in a modern society with modern problems we are exposed to a lot of toxins there's a lot of environmental damage that we are uh, facing every single day people have their airpods on which is sending an emf straight into their skull how do we undo that while we live in the same environment because we cannot escape it like not everybody can oh yeah you are right and yeah, you can't do 40 years of damage and expect it to all go away in four months or something. There there could be some interventions, like some more medical in- interventions that are needed. You could, yes, you're talking about like chelating, like you taking um, certain things that will actually help reduce the heavy metals in your body. I think there definitely are things to be done if you are metabolically damaged or you have certain problems, maybe even some medications you can do for a short amount of time before you start changing your diet and lifestyle and getting better. 
Uh, I think you got to find the right doctor. You got to find, there's a few, very few doctors out there that get it. These more holistic doctors, there's all kinds of different, they don't even have to be a doctor doctor. They could be a chiropractor. They could be a naturopath. They could be, who knows? They Maybe they don't have a degree. So I would say, look for people that understand this stuff. And then you're talking about like, how do we avoid this? Like we are in this modern world. Yeah. I, I think people need to learn how to live in the modern world, but in an ancestrally appropriate way. And it's not easy and doesn't happen overnight, but it's, yeah, I still live in a city. Yeah, I'm near downtown. I live in an apartment. It's not like I live in a cave and <laughs> I'm not out hunting my own animals, but yes, I can go hunting and I can drive a couple hours and go hunting if I want. I can choose to not wear AirPods and I can get the wired ones like you have in with the wires on them. You can make these small decisions and they can add up to just something more ancestrally appropriate. Right. We don't have to. Some people take it all away and they move off grid and they they can, you know, sleep on a dirt mat, or a dirt floor. You know, they can you can do all kinds of things, but you need to find what's going to work with your life, but is just stepping in the right direction. And, you know, small, small things add up. The, the recently I read, uh, I was listening to a podcast about mold toxicity. What are your thoughts on it? What can one do to like undo that? Because that's something that's becoming a very common problem, especially when we live indoors and it's uh, insulated buildings, there's no ventilation. And then there's water damage that most people can't see because there's things that's covering it. There's paint, there's walls, everything. And you are ex exposed to that environment and that kind of penetrates through every other health factor. Mm. And first, how do you identify it? What are the symptoms? Because the symptoms can go from like, you know, something that's mm -hmm. like, oh, you have a, a depression to actual physical uh, symptoms and mm -hmm. everybody responds differently. Uh, have you like, you know, is there something, is that something of interest to you at all? I am not the expert on this at all. I'm interested in it because many of my friends, even in Austin, have had problems with this. It is a problem a lot of places, like you said, you don't even know it. And yeah, some people, they're just like, I just have general fatigue mm -hmm. and they, they're doing everything else correctly and they don't get it. What, like, why do I just don't feel that great? Or, And so super hard to identify. There are tests. I would say find people that, are, that specialize in this and learn more about it. I did actually even just see Michaela Peterson. She's sort of a famous carnivore with her dad, Jordan Peterson. Mm -hmm. And she wrote a long post yesterday that she had to stop her podcast and she was out of commission for a couple months because she found out she had heavy mold poisoning and toxicity and had to get rid of it. And I, I say, go on Twitter. There's a long post about it and hear what she did. It's part of her. She has a whole autoimmune story if people know about mm -hmm. her, but there, yeah, you need to treat it. And it, so I know a guy who had to move out. He moved out of Austin because he could not find a place that was working for him. And that whenever he traveled and lived in another place, he felt way better. And so he just had to move out. So there are extreme things. Like I said, yeah, if you live up in London or even farther North, you're not getting sun. Maybe you should consider moving. I know it's super drastic and maybe unrealistic, but sometimes for your health, you need to do drastic things. So yeah, I'm not the mold guy, but I think it's, it's huge. It's from what I've found around me, it is actually huge.
And I feel like, and plus the thing with mold is that even if you move, it takes a few years for your body to just completely detox. And unless you actively do it, it's not going to just go away by itself. Your body just stores up uh, mold toxins and those toxins don't go away by itself. Like heavy metals, chelation also, it's like over years, it doesn't just dilute itself. It's something that you have to identify and get rid of. Uh there's not enough conversation about it. Maybe on your podcast, you could have some guests, hopefully in the future, where you talk about this in detail, because that's something that is, I find it very curious for my side. That is a good one. Uh, that's a good suggestion. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what you're working on, can you talk about, like you said, about your uh, docuseries that's going to soon come out? What else is uh, in the pipeline for you? Yeah, really want to finish that. That's my number one goal because I think that's going to make a huge impact to the world and people just need to see this series because not everyone's going to listen to these podcasts like you're doing or that I do. People need to just see it in a easily digestible, fun way. Uh, I've just, my company knows the tale. We, we do good meat. We do it regeneratively. I'm actually working on something you said earlier, how it's it's hard to get organs in your diet and we're working on a new project to help that in a real food way i don't like taking pills i know there's other people that do organ pills right there's supplements that you can take but we're looking at a better way to do that and trying to bring it to the world what's it gonna look like oh you we'll just have to wait oh i can't say yeah sorry we're it's a new project but i'm really excited about it but we're trying to use whole food nutrition you know, instead of popping pills, even even though, you know, organ pills, maybe they aren't, the, there's nothing wrong with them. It's not like a pharmaceutical, hmm. but uh, yeah, we're just going to work on that. And yeah, I'm actually just working on doing this stuff in person, living this life here in Austin. Not that it's applicable to anyone listening really, but I think it's great to find your community and live this life and find people around you that are, are on the same page. And that's what, I'm doing in Austin, we have a place called the Sapien Center. And maybe it can apply to the world if we start making these little hubs around the world and everyone can get together. And this has been the most valuable thing I've ever done in my life is actually live this lifestyle with my community, connect on a daily basis, have, you know, in person, have people around you that believe in this stuff and do these things. I think that's actually one of the last things that we didn't talk about that are the pillar to human health is that community and connection and purpose and all that where you you get your food dialed in. That's huge. Maybe the most important, the food, you know, that is huge. It interacts with your body every single day. The movement required. Some movements required. Sun, got to get that. And then the sleep, which we actually didn't really touch on, huge. I am always getting my eight hours of sleep. I will do that no matter what. I will focus on that a lot. And I think it's very important. And the last thing is that community. And that's I what I think the Blue Zones, people may have heard the Blue Zones. And they the, the guy, Dan Buettner, was super biased. He was trying to go out and make it seem like it was vegetarian diets that made these people live longer. People don't know. People live over a hundred, there's certain areas of the world where there's a disproportionate amount of people who lived over a hundred. And what he found 
is that they had one of the most important parts. Well, they all ate whole foods and they had different ratios of plants to animal. But one of the most important things is this, their community and their sense of purpose in life. And there was movement. There was time outdoors. There was family. They, they lived together. They did not retire. Kind of, they just kept working into old age. So kind of to close this out, yes, it, that community part is so huge. And hopefully people can find that because it's, it's so online these days. And yeah, just get, can, get offline. Where can people find your stuff online before they go offline? Like if they <laughs> before you have stuff, like, well, we might try to do something online where people like that's worldwide that people can then get offline. So yes, so sapien.org is my general site. You can get a little informational packet there and get on our email list. So then you can be notified of things like this. But I do want to have a worldwide thing where people can meet people in their community and get offline. But yeah, Food Lies is the other place to find me on social media, YouTube, Instagram, just search for food lies. I'm there. And then the peak humans, the podcast. So download that one. And then hopefully soon you'll have someone who's a mole guy. A mole girl. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to that. Yes. New episode. Okay. On peak human. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for speaking with me. All right. Great times.